Welcome to the Disability and Podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Eleanor Lisney and Eric Wu are in conversation. The podcast is introduced by Disability Arts Online founding editor, Colin Hambrook. Hi, I'm delighted to welcome Eleanor Lisney, who's Disability Arts Online board member. She's also a co-founder of Disabled Women's Collective, Sisters of Frida, and of Culture Access, CIC. Eric Wu is BSc Nutrition and Dietetics student and Mental Health Community Organiser at King's College, London. Eleanor and Eric come together to discuss cultural identities within the East and Southeast Asian communities following a recent podcast they did called Between Nazi Goreng and Fried Rice. They reference Angry Asian Anonymous, AAA, a performance event they were involved in together at King's. Hello, Eric, again. Hello, Eleanor. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm OK. Um, thank you for coming again. And this is continuation almost of a <laughs> podcast we did together oh a month ago, a bit right more. About. Yeah. Yeah. And I was asked to do this not just I think because I'm one of the directors of Disability Arts Online, but because Colin and Rook thought it would be a good idea because of uh, I think he wanted more inclusivity, is that the word? Uh, more uh, diversity mm-hmm. in and the work. And I think the DAO does uh, quite a bit of diversity, but uh, we aim to increase that. So in this podcast, I hope to mention a lot of things, uh, if that's okay with you. Yep, absolutely. Happy to be here. <laughs> and this is a Disability and, and in that podcast, I wouldn't say first podcast because that wasn't a DAO podcast, I never mentioned disability because we only talked about identity and disability, being disabled, is very much part of my identity and it has been for at least the past 20 years. Actually, we met when we did a performance together. Would you like to describe that performance while I look for that poem that, yes. I, was, that I read in it? Absolutely. Um, the performance we did together was a piece of work called AAA. Um, it was written by a few of us including you contributed your poem as part of it. And it was a work in response to a co-production workshop done by Moongate Productions um, to foster um, creative pieces from East and Southeast Asian community members. And specifically the piece we wrote was quite a bit on um, challenging stereotypes and... Um, challenging perceptions that the outside world has about us Um, whether it be our identity whether it be um, our cultural upbringing whether it be 
you know, how we present to the world. Um, I think that was kind of the ethos of the piece and allowing us to feel that when the world judges us, that we can feel angry and that microaggressions, you know, do actually have an effect on us and we can, we are allowed to express our anger or discontentment with the world judging us or placing us into neat little boxes. Now, when I thought, you know, about what to contribute, and, and thank you, Eric, because I think it was you who uh, was very encouraging me joining. Uh, I thought it was quite important to bring in the fact that not only am I an East Asian, but mm. also disabled. And I used this poem that I wrote seems like ages ago and I shall read it now <laughs> it's not a very long point it's titled A Young Man in White Amidst the din and the fury of the storm the acrid and steamy heat the fat raindrops that fell in rivulets down gutters the percussion as they hit on the cars and the roofs the blaring horns the cacophony of the scurrying pedestrians, bicycles, trishaw drivers, school children and traffic, all wending their way. I saw a young man in white under a wax umbrella, continuing unconcerned, calm, unhurried, as if in the reverie, he came into my vision like an exercise in Zen. Then he stooped under an awning into the depths of a herbalist's shop. I caught my breath, awed by this impression of serenity. Would he be caught in the same confusion morass, convinced in the jaundiced prejudice for the male child, assured in his chauvinistic pride of place? Would he believe in karma? Would he delegate disability to neuter me even more to a life without passion and love? That scar, still raw and red from childhood, denigrates my sense of womanhood that I was Chan Fai, useless, destined as one of life's debris. I have never sought the love of the men of my race for fear of that image mirrored in their dark eyes, my self-esteem, fragile, slowly built abroad in the land of strangers. Now I catch myself daring to look at men and secretly weave a dream for a talisman to bind up those ancient wounds for the girl child who would allow herself to be healed back into the fold, written in 1997. Thank you for sharing that. It's very powerful. Yeah, I <laughs> and I thought this would be good here as well because there's a lot of issues, for the one of a better word. I have written articles and stuff, and especially about being a disabled woman of colour or specifically as an East Asian, Asian, Southeast Asian, there is that 
perception being a woman as you know there's certain roles to play like for example you know wife mother very importantly and if you're not married by a certain age you're left on the shelf definitely there's a Chinese perception and disability added to it is double whammy if I can say that what are your thoughts on that? So for me, it's an interesting question because I grew up in a actually very matriarchal family. It was my grandmother who led the family and then my mother and my aunt kind of led the families as well. Um, in Chinese, the kind of the phrase 女强人, strong female individual, strong, strong woman kind of rings through and rings the tone of my family. So I always want to challenge these sort of gender norms and our societal norms that women belong in the household. I want to challenge these because I grew up with my mother working, um, you know, earning a larger, larger wage than my father. And I grew up with her, you know, leading the household. I think it's definitely times are changing. Um, as newer generations shift out, and especially younger people go into the workforce, we kind of realize that, you know, you you can have stay-at-home fathers, you can have men taking seemingly more feminine or, or pink-collar jobs in the industry. So I think it it's slowly but surely changing, especially here in the West. I think it might take a little bit of a lag still in Asia, but... Still, I've seen a lot of people around my age who are prioritizing work and prioritizing their careers over the traditional kind of mindset of, you know, they need to get married, they need to settle down. In fact, they want to form their own individual lives first. I, I think I agree with you in the case of career, uh, but I think the patriarchal society confusion is... Uh, it's still very much there. Uh, I know my daughter tells me that dramas are not always reflective of the society, and I watch a lot of Chinese dramas. And uh, certainly a lot of the sort of scripts are still on the pressure on the woman to get married, especially if they approach the age of 30. And even if they are a CEO of a company, they still need a man to protect them for some reason, uh, even if the man might not have a job. I, I don't understand that, but then I don't live in China. I never lived in China. But I think the, the, the confusion kind of wrote, thought of the man being more important or the sun being more important is gradually sort of losing the sort of importance in the East Asian. I'm not so sure about the Southeast Asian might still also be the case. Definitely in China, it's shifting towards less of the importance of the father, but more importance of the parents and the family. The mother and the father lead the family. And the sort of gender 
it may be less important. But I reflect on this myself because I'm much, much older than you. I remember it's suddenly important because my name, Wa, it's a gender-neutral name. I think when my father thought of names, he was suddenly hoping me to be male. He just added Choi, which is a very feminine name, to the Wa, which means that it is a, 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 a girl's name. But a Wa is actually a male name, has a lot of male connotations to it. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I can definitely sort of feel that. I don't know if my dad was disappointed when I was not male, but he left me that name anyway. When it comes back to the poem, I certainly had ambivalence towards sort of relationships, especially uh, at that time when I left Malaysia, came to UK and became an undergrad. The sort of relationships being disabled was very much affecting me, even though I didn't realise it at that time. And hence, this is why I think I married an Englishman. (laughs) But I met up with one of my alumni uh, a few weeks ago. We haven't seen each other for 40 years. And... um, he made the point that I was mixing with the Guaylo too much, in, in a sort of saying, I was mixing with the foreigners, even though we were in the UK. I said at that time, I thought, since I was in the UK to study English literature, it made sense to mix with the natives, you know, rather than mix with my own kind, so to speak. But later on, on reflection, I think that unconsciously I was scared, maybe, of that kind of the, the, the confusionism, the, uh, the fact that I don't think that men of my own race uh, would be attracted to me was very much there in my subconscious. And so um, ended up marrying an Englishman. (laughs) And uh, I think I, at that time, I thought I'm, you know, I didn't know if anybody else would ask me. So I said yes to the first man who asked me sort of thing. And on reflection, I think if I wasn't disabled, probably I wouldn't have gotten married. Who knows where what I would have done, but <laughs> suddenly wouldn't have got married and had children so young. However, thinking back, I mean, nowadays I have loads and loads of friends, girlfriends, who are also East Asian, and and and, and many of them have boyfriends 
or fiancés or get married to white men. And I stopped myself from giving advice because of my own experience, because my own experience is unique to me and I I don't know if that's a you know good thing. However, even, I mean, I don't have any any thoughts about it in even you know from then and I not in the UK but in America I certainly found that men there are more open to disability than men here and 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 that is maybe not in the realm of this podcast (laughs) 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 to 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 talk to talk about that i know when i was much younger anyway i was much much confused and i certainly never even thought of uh lgbt or any sexual orientation sort of thing because I was too busy first of all studying being a mother being a wife and then being a student again I remember because I went back to study in the US and my children came to visit me and I I, I remember telling my daughter that I'd like to have a a jeep if I ever drove again. And she said, but mom, if you do that, people would think you're a dyke. Huh? I I, I didn't even know she knew the word. And then she said, it's okay, mom. John and I, my children, we wouldn't mind if you are. At that time, it didn't even occur to me. So in a sort of really weird kind of way, maybe because um, because of, because we're focusing on the poem, I've sort of gone in a sort of very roundabout way of talking about sexuality and this disability and uh, I think it's it's more than that it's also our identities mm. when it comes to how do we feel about ourselves whether we're in the East Asian Southeast Asian world or whether we're here in the Western world how does that fit in I mean, how are we supposed to find ourselves orientated? What do, you, what, what do you think? I think it's challenging and confusing because we, at least for me, being in both the Eastern and Western worlds, we're told almost two conflicting things that clash together. When, when it comes to how they view, especially East and Southeast Asian men and women, as we are meek, we are humble, we are quiet. Uh, but at the same time, 
hypersexualized often in the media um it's it's interesting how you can combat that because if you don't fit into this perception the stereotype that they have in their mind of of you then somehow i feel that it's my fault that i sometimes might not fit into what they want and it's 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 weird cuz it does affect my own perception of my own self being and my own self worth but it's based off of what other people tell me is the right way to be or the right way to project or act i think that that hypersexuality thing it's certainly very very true and i think i was pretty sheltered when i was a sort of well when i was a mother and a wife in strasbourg in france because it was very much in a bubble i i i was in the english speaking world and actually i think i well, when i was a child growing up in malaysia we didn't have any sex education or, or anything like that it's not part of the curriculum and then i went straight home straight into university and you know and suddenly uh there was the whole adventure of getting used to uh being a student on top of that being a disabled student having to get used to the environment how to get from a to b <laughs> then i got married the week i graduated <laughs> not a very wise thing to do <laughs> <laughs> but you know and then i almost then then you know very soon after that went to france but i think it was in france that i i i understood because it's much much open in france even though i didn't understand the language but still i was very much sheltered as i said my ex worked in a sort of um semi diplomatic circle so in that sort of status i i certainly didn't meet people for my own sake because it was almost meeting people uh because i didn't have a working life so you know i didn't meet people but when i went to the state i i states i i, I found out that being an east asian woman gives you a kind of different perspective different status i don't know because you you mm-hmm. you you're from that world eric mm-hmm. and i don't know i mean i felt like in my meetings as a student with other students with other people there it made me understand that being an asian woman puts you puts you on a kind of 
status, or I don't know what kind of status, but as, as you say, the sort of meek, hyper-sexualized, the sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the bondage, the, that kind of stuff that comes up as soon as you put Asian women on the internet. Mm. For that, I wasn't, I, 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 I didn't understand that. And uh, certainly much, much more in America than in, in the UK, maybe because by that time I've moved out the UK before the internet. And I was studying information science, so I was very much on the net, as I suppose, because that was what I was studying and, and researching. And also that's where I learned, in fact, if I can say that, my identity as a disabled woman or as a disabled person, because it was in Austin, Texas, that I met disabled people, uh, activism, and I learned about it. So it was a whole mixture of learning about disability there as well as being sensitized to sort of my East Asian identity. Speaking of it, it's made me sort of realize, and this is why I say that I only learn about these things in the eyes of, you know, people from a different land because I find, and I regret this very, very much, because I'm not literate in Chinese. So there's a huge part of me that doesn't understand my heritage. And so when I talked about, I only knew about what it means to be Asian, to be Asian woman and how I felt about it, was very much on the surface of of learning to be Chinese or being the Chinese or Asian child, which didn't grow up because I didn't have the privilege or the experience of Chinese literature as I did of English literature. Does that make sense to you? We only have access to one side, even for me. I learned Chinese, but I've never been able to access the literature that you're describing in Chinese literature because for me as well, there's still the language barrier. Or if I read it, I still don't understand it. There's also that cultural barrier because, like you said, I grew up in the U.S. I grew up in a different atmosphere. And so what you've mentioned here about how our identity shifts and the receptions of our identity shifts depending on what's our environment and what country we're in. For me, that was very true. Um, my perception growing up as a Chinese-American, growing up as Asian-American in the U.S. was very different. And my connection to being Chinese was very different than when I was in Singapore. And everyone around me was mostly Chinese. Um, you saw Chinese literature and Chinese language and culture everywhere in Singapore. And alongside Malay and uh, 
Indonesian, Malaysian, and, and South Tamil. Asian cultures, Tamil, exactly. All the cultures blended together, but it was very much more represented. And so I felt, I felt a very different connection to my Chinese side. And then coming here to the UK, where we're not as numerous in terms of representation, East and Southeast Asian, but when you say the word Asian here in the UK, very often I think South Asian. Because that is what's predominantly has the predominant population here in the UK. But for me, my yeah, my perception has has changed as I change from culture to culture. That also affects me of how how these different stereotypes have gone and changed. You mentioned in the US the femme kind of the a little bit of a femme fatale. Am I correct? Yeah, no, sort of Madam Butterfly yeah. kind of, you know, um, the, 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 the courtesan who get left behind mm. and mourn and, you know, kill herself, that mm. kind of self-sacrificing Eastern female mm-hmm. that we only get in Western literature. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not to say we, don't, we only get in Western literature, but in the Eastern culture as well, so often the the woman would kill herself rather than being raped or anything like that because the stain on their owner is too much mm. for them, mm. which is kind of ridiculous because I know when I was growing up, if you were raped or if you had sex with somebody, then for some reason you belong to the man. Doesn't matter who it is, it, you belong. And I could never understand it, even as as a, a child. I grew up. My my parents. I only spoke Cantonese with them, and it's my first language. And certainly, I, I watched a lot of Hong Kong TV, and I listened to. Um, <coughs> radio programs with my grandparents but it's a sort of different type of literature that I had to access to than my access to English because that's the language I studied in it's because of colonialism (laughs) that's why I ended up speaking and writing and studying in English it's not got that same type of depth or freedom if you want to call it that and I regret that Uh, and and I wish that I had studied I could have studied the tongue poets and you know and 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 all that and I still try to but I think I have lots to catch up you know but the sort of beauty of that heritage, it's also mixed up because I'm not mainland Chinese and that so much of it is, I think it's not just our identities, but it's also our nationality, you know, whether I'm British, Malaysian or you American, that has, you know, part to do, to do with it. And I don't know how we negotiate that I mean I think it could be part of the fun I think it is I think it is I think 
it's an ongoing negotiation. It's an ongoing kind of discovery as I feel for me in my journey being more comfortable with either side or knowing how my connection to either side changes and adapts and evolves over time. I think it's very interesting because everyone, as you said, is we all have very different identities, but we all also have very different meanings and connections. My meaning when I say I'm Chinese is different from when if you say you're Chinese because our cultures, our histories, our backgrounds are, are, are different. And, but it's all the same label that people use. And I think this sums up quite a bit of what we've maybe talked about today as well. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Ari. Of course, it's been an absolute pleasure, Eleanor. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll I'll see you again in many, many other events. Absolutely. I'm sure this conversation is far from over as well. <laughs> yeah, we, we will continue. Yes. And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode of Disability And. Our thanks to Eleanor Lisney and Eric Wu for an interesting and stimulating conversation. Please join us next month when Mind the Gaps associate producer Paul Wilshaw is chatting with actor Chris Hannan 